You're listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book. Hello, I'm Nicholas Sperling. This is a social justice podcast, and this is season two that we're beginning. So as we move from season one into season two, we're going to start talking about some of the sub-issues and current events associated with the big topics that we discussed in season one. And today we're going to be talking about trans people in rugby, and I'm joined by Nico and Will from the Vancouver Rogues. Nico, can you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Nico. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a player uh, in the Vancouver Rogues Rugby Club. I'm also the chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, and I've been playing rugby essentially for two years. Wonderful. Thank you. And Will? Uh, my name's Will. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I am uh, just a player on the Rogues, um, but I've been there since uh, it restarted in 2021. Um, and I am trans, so I have that experience with the sport as a trans person. Thank you both so much for joining today. Uh, this is a conversation that is really important to me as a soccer player and a trans person who plays sports, but I don't have a lot of experience with rugby. So I'm going to be looking to both of you for some information about what it's like to be a trans person in rugby, why you're trying to create a more inclusive team. And uh, to begin with, your website states that you're picking up the torch from the original Rogues RFC, the first openly gay and inclusive rugby team in all of Canada. So why was it important for you to start making your team more inclusive of trans and non-binary people? Well, for me, it was a, a personal thing, really. I joined it quite reluctantly, and um, I kind of just fell headfirst into rugby and realized that it was a really wonderful sport, a really fun sport. It really has like such a great uh, social and community aspect to it. It's really good for building friendships and relationships mm -hmm. like with your team and also like across teams. Um, and it's also the physicality of it was so good for me as like I was like a year into my transition. I'd gone through a lot of physical changes and it was it really felt like coming back into my body, like doing rugby. Um, and I, I really would love for other trans people to be able to have these kinds of experiences with the sport. Um, so I, I, I think that for me, it, it's kind of a wanting to like share that with other trans people and also to have other trans people around. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's yeah. a community. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. And Nico, did you have some thoughts of on this course. one? Of course. I mean, for me, making our team inclusive was really important because I... I moved to Canada, I'm from France originally, I moved to Canada in 2011, and um, I came out about three, four years after as a gay man, mm -hmm. and I started essentially running uh, at the Vancouver Front Runners, which is an inclusive running club, and then I joined Out for Kicks, the soccer club. Which we play on together. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, about, I, I think this year was my eighth season, wow. I believe. And I just experienced sport in a different way. I, I, I love sports and I don't think I've always loved sports. And I don't know if it was because of the game itself or if it was the culture specifically. I remember instances when I was a kid where I was like, I don't, I don't want to play soccer anymore. I, I, I'm done. And I don't think it was because of the sport because I, I was fairly good at it. But um, I think there was something that was like preventing me from really having fun playing the sport. Mm -hmm. And so when I joined Out for Kicks, I realized like, oh my God, like this is a lot of fun. People are amazing. People are respectful. Respectful. People are people are kind. People are loving, and it really inspired me to be that person in within the sport. I've I've also played in more competitive leagues um, in Vancouver, in Burnaby, and playing against other teams that are don't have necessarily that inclusive aspect is sometimes challenging because they don't necessarily get it. Um, so. With the Rogues restarting about two years ago, I felt that sense of welcoming and really tackling that inclusive piece was really important for me. Um, and I think it's it, it, it was important for the team. So I um, since the very beginning, there was the position that came up uh, to be chair of the of the diversity and inclusion committee. And I was like, yeah. I got this, let's do it. And I'm happy to lead this. And, and the whole team really put 
a lot into making our team inclusive and we're still working on it obviously but um, it, it is important not just for me but for us as a team and that's that's who we are that's our identity today mm-hmm. and why was it necessary to have an inclusive team are, are the other teams in the lower mainland not inclusive or is it just that you're trying to have uh, more of a, a solid commitment make sure that people are feeling welcomed and accepted uh, to a higher degree than they might on another team so for me, so I've had like wonderful experiences playing in the BCRU, like a lot of really nice times with the other teams. Um, and there have been a lot of people who are just playing on like the, you know, regular, I say regular, that's like the teams that aren't like explicitly inclusive in their focus, mm-hmm. who like actually did like show up to like our games, to our practices, to touch, and like just like gave us pointers and welcomed us in and showed us how things kind of went. You know, but that being said, I think that um, teams that don't have this focus on inclusion, there are like aspects, structural and like social aspects of athletics that are, are kind of, that can be homophobic and transphobic in ways that they might not even know. Sometimes it's not that people are explicitly trying to exclude anyone, but it's like they don't know how to include them. So Mm -hmm. people end up being ostracized or they end up closeting themselves to kind of fit in or, you know, there are all sorts of or maybe they get bullied. Um, Whereas I think that especially for queer people who are coming into a sport completely new and don't have like experience in rugby that can kind of carry them through getting involved in the sport. It, it's a lot easier to come into a team where the focus is come join us, learn to play. We are going to work to find a space for you with us, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, did you have some thoughts, Nico? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we're creating a, a small um, to SLGBTQI plus community within the world of rugby, right? So we mm-hmm. all have our experiences that some folks out there can relate um, to. And I think this allows us to really bring in, hopefully, some folks that had never thought about playing rugby in their life. I, I'm, I'm one of them, for example. I was shying away from soccer when I was a kid, but never, ever in my life would have I thought I would ever play rugby. And it's, it, it, it's, I just, it's also the cultural piece there for me. Um, but there, there might be other people that relate to that. Now, starting the sport with this team was, it, 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 it was game changer for me. It opened doors into a new sport that I actually love today. I, I could not think of not playing rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other teams in the BCRU region actually have worked, welcomed us with open arms and that, that felt, Amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the Richmond team, um, Squamish, um, Kamloops, um, even uh, on the island, Nanaimo. We actually just spent um, our weekend there, the, the Rogues. We were invited uh, by the um, Nanaimo team to essentially do some skills um, training. Um, they, they shared with us um, their space, uh, their um, coaching, and we did our season retreat pre-season retreat um there this weekend and so we're it's not that the other teams are not inclusive per se but it's maybe not their their focus specifically Mm -hmm. and it becomes their focus when it's actually be brought when it's actually brought up to their attention similarly to a pride game pride games were set up to pinpoint um, transphobic and homophobic language in sports. So they created those games to um, have people realize, oh, maybe I should, shouldn't be saying this um, when I'm playing because specifically today, it's a pride game. I should probably not come up with a homophobic slur right now or transphobic mm-hmm. slur. So it's kind of like that. We're, this is our message. This is why we exist. And, um, and, um, and I think the teams are getting it and and starting their own journey as well. 
from a more broad perspective, why is it important that people have access to play sports? Um, I, I know that there's you know, plenty of reasons why I like playing sports. There's the physicality, there's the, the connection that you have with individuals. Um, but from your perspective, why is it important that people have access to that? Well, I mean, from, from my perspective, like I came into this sport, you know, feeling very like disconnected from my body and in the process of like forcing myself to kind of learn, you know, a new sport, not late, but like later than, you know, on average, like you start sports when you're a kid, usually. I Maybe that's not true anymore. But um, I do think like having access to sports it's it's a it can be it, they have mental health benefits they connect you to a community there's like the fitness aspect which will which you know will serve you in your life more generally it will make you feel just a bit better usually i think like if i'm if i have a couple runarounds in a week i will feel better and i will i will like my mood will be better you know all that stuff mm-hmm. And there's this like larger thing that is, I think, a feeling of like social acceptance that like a sport can give someone. And I think that queer people in particular are denied this. And so when we get access to it, it it's it's especially good for us, I think, you know, when you're going through your life feeling like alienated day to day and then you like turn up and you like get to like work with a bunch of other people who want you around on a shared goal and celebrate it afterwards, I think that that's like a hugely positive thing um, for a queer person to experience. And mm-hmm. so that is why I think it's such an important thing more broadly. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you want to add to that as well? Yeah, I mean, I definitely echo well in with the fitness aspect, the social aspect. And I think um, when you play sports, specifically in a community environment, there's work that needs to be done within that community um, and um, setting up practices or organizing events, just like we did this past weekend. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And I think it it gives people opportunities also to step up in their life and get a sense of what being a leader is. And it doesn't need to be this big task of being a third leader of the group, but just taking mm-hmm. initiative and taking on some of the tasks uh, and, and responsibilize people in managing other people, but also managing tasks that um, need to really to, to keep the club alive. Just just that, you know, this we need a lot of resources to make our club fun- being able to function. And um, and I think practicing this and, and being in the community as well, where you can ask other clubs or other um, partners that are able to help you with where you're at and bring bring you up. It's to me, it's really important and have that opportunity to grow as a human, not specifically just in the fitness aspect or social mm-hmm. aspect, but in the um, interactivity with how a club functions might give some people ideas to start their own company maybe um so that to me is is important uh, from my understanding your team falls under the the Mariloma club are they i guess maybe you can explain what the Mariloma club is and are they allies in your mission of fighting racism transphobia and homophobia i will like i just want to say this like you know kind of very baldly outright they've given us a home really mm-hmm. like it's a really big thing to have access to like a field a clubhouse funding equipment there's also like they have expertise on actually like running a rugby club because there's stuff mm-hmm. that like goes into like you know if you need to like you have an away game you need to travel if you do you know there's all this stuff that goes into going to games having practices and having their infrastructure as like a foundation for us just gives us so much more room to like grow and to like reach out to the queer community and to do other things right we don't have to be like fighting for survival Mm -hmm. like we can we have this support um so yes i i would say the lomas are definitely our allies um and also, you know, they come to our practices, they come to our games, uh, they come to our team events sometimes, and uh, they 
Some of them march with us in the Pride Parade. There are definitely some people at the club that I would consider, you know, good friends too. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, yeah, I will say, I think they're our allies for sure. Wonderful. And that sounds a little different from what I'm used to in soccer. Mm -hmm. We play with uh, Metro Women's Soccer League. We have a team there and and we recently had to figure out how to run it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't, it doesn't sound like there was as much support as what you have with Mariloma Club. And maybe that's because it's a club as opposed to a league. Yeah, the Marilomas are like, they're quite an old club in the context of Vancouver, like 1920s, and they do a variety of different sports. Basically, their whole thing, I I don't know how articulate I am being here, but their thing is that they are like fielding teams to play against other clubs, whereas I think like a league is kind of just overseeing the teams themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like... I think probably a closer, like more analogous to what you're describing would be like the BCRU, which does provide resources and things like that to clubs within the world of BC rugby, but they're not running the teams. Right. And could you have a team that is not part of a club? In this context, if you are a team, like you are a club, there's like a Squamish club, like the Axemen, and there's like a club in North Vancouver, like Capilano, and they're, you know, they all kind of have this like infrastructure in place to be able to like field teams um, throughout the season. Yeah. I I mean, I'm trying to build my own understanding based off of my knowledge of soccer. I don't know how helpful this is to our audience, but uh, we have some teams that are just independent teams like ours. And then we have clubs that field teams. So there's a little bit of a a mixture of both in, in soccer. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Nico? Um, there's a lot that we'll share about, about the Lomas currently um, at our level, um, senior level per se. There, there are five teams, four of which play in the men's division and mm-hmm. one plays in the women's division. Four of them are called the Lomas and we're, we're called the Rogues. Oh. Um, and we, when, they, when they restarted the Rogues, essentially we needed a home. So we asked them if they would allow us to be part of their club um, and they said yes and they allowed us to keep our identity as well the rogues identity they could have simply asked us well you just start a a new team and that's going to call the lomas and we'll have five teams Mm -hmm. and no they actually were supportive of our mission and uh the 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 vision also for our team and uh and they they allowed us to play under their umbrella, we're their sibling, we're uh, absolutely equal, and and, um, we share resources, we share uh, support, and and, um, yeah, they're absolutely amazing, and we're very thankful for having them, definitely. Um, There's one thing specifically also that was uh, brought in. We worked last year with uh, Monash University in Australia, and they've been doing some research essentially around uh, homophobia and transphobia, racism in sports, and we participated in their study in within the club and the the Lomas said yes and I call them the Lomas but it's short for Mera Lomas mm-hmm. um, and they said yes let's do this and essentially what they did they surveyed the whole club not just us specifically the whole club before and after a captain training essentially what they've uh, realized is that to change the culture within a team you need to change not change but really get the influential people aware and enable them to act on tackling transphobia, tackling homophobia, tackling racism. And if when those people actually speak up, if they hear something or if they see something and they speak up, then change can happen. Right. So they surveyed us before we had the captain training and then they surveyed us after and that had an impact on the club and yet to this day we still talk about it which is pretty amazing so that Mm -hmm. had an impact and so that's also proof to me that they're um supportive in our mission with our mission right and is that uh training that you're talking about was that like edi training edi training not specifically it was more about having a conversation with the influential people, the captains, essentially. Right. Hey, do you hear these words? How often do you hear them? And essentially, at at first, 
the surveys shared that they were not hearing it much because they weren't they weren't necessarily paying attention to it. Right. Then we had the training, and then the second survey actually showed that it was happening a lot more than the first survey because now people are paying attention to those this kind of language and so it showed us that okay well now we know what we need to work on and and what we need to do so it's just bringing shedding light on those issues and 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 having influential people people that can speak up that are able to speak up make those changes happen Right. And, and that sounds very similar to what we did with uh, Out for Kicks. I'm on the board of Out for Kicks and uh, we talked about how we can incorporate EDI training into captain's training. And I think it really helped for this season, making sure that people were aware of uh, not using gendered language on the field and being more inclusive of different identities. And I'm also interested to know what your motivation was behind creating all gender touch rugby yeah so honestly like um touch is is often played co-ed so the marilomas also does a they have like a competitive level and like a social level but it's it's pretty informal compared to like the season that we play in rugby Mm -hmm. um you know you just like the teams are all within the club and everyone just shows up to connaught park and then we have some games and throughout the season, you know, as you know, you figure out what the rankings are. There's like a semifinal and a final, but but mostly it's just kind of to run around in a field and toss a ball at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and on those teams um, to like actually field a team, you have to have equal numbers of men and women. Like, obviously, there's more of a conversation to be had about like men and women. Yeah, you know, all that. But that being said, like this is like this is not a new thing it like touch is often played co-ed having uh the rogues touch be all gender um really just kind of makes sense the most sense Mm -hmm. because that's kind of how it's played anyway it's a a pretty like fast fun informal sport it's no contact so you can kind of like be pretty loose with it and like just have fun and not worry too much about that. That being said, I think this year we put more of an emphasis on this is for all genders because I think in previous years, yes, anyone who wanted to show up could show up, but touch was seen as a recruitment tool for the regular season. Mm. And we are a men's third div team. So it would sort of like select out the people who don't identify as men essentially basically what that comes down to is like really the more the merrier like it's it's more fun to have different kinds of people all different kinds of people coming to your events and like sharing their perspectives and their style of play and their experiences it makes for a more interesting time it kind of changed the tone of it a little this year it felt um i don't i couldn't i wouldn't be able to put my finger on it quite but it it was calmer um, and yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it was a positive change for us. I think that it made us better, stronger as a team to have that focus. Right. And do you find that it's challenging to have a quota system where you have to have equal mm-hmm. members of each gender if you're trying to have an all gender team? Like oh, yes. what, what what happens <laughs> when you bring a non-binary person in? How does that affect the, it, yes. the split? Yeah, it's challenging. So we, well, for one thing, um, I feel like this mu- this is like a common struggle for like teams that like have like quotas for like genders. Um which is that there's like a real struggle to get enough women. I don't know why. Well, I do kind of know why. Like, we don't think we prioritize women's athletics the same way we prioritize We have the same problem in soccer, yeah. Yeah, right? So you'll have this like struggle where like you have a bunch of men and so the men all have subs and the women are stuck playing for like, you know, ever and ever and ever. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You're heroes, but like, I'm so sorry. Um... But um, but also, you know, like we did have a non-binary person on our team uh, in the Lomas Touch League and uh, they just like chose like uh, like they went to a specific way. I don't think we even had a conversation about it. It, it could just, just be they of, can sub in yeah. for either or sort well, of. Well, no, they just kind of like chose to be like one of the men matching players, and then we didn't. Oh, so you had to figure it yeah. out ahead of time. Yeah, that, that kind of puts them in a. Because I think we would have been challenged on it, which is 
Hmm. It's a tough situation yeah. to be in as a non-binary yeah, person. Right? And go, I have to choose if yeah, I'm going to be a man or a woman today. Yeah. And it's like, but I'm not either. Yeah. So, yeah. I know. And that's the rough position that non-binary people are in, in sports in general, I think. It's kind of like the yeah. washroom discussion, yeah. right? You've got a men's washroom and a women's yeah, washroom and right. you stand outside going, well, which one? Yeah. 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 And that's something that I think like as time goes on, we're going to have to work out. Though I think a lot of that has to do with like, a much larger problem, which is like, maybe this is getting too deep into things, but a much larger problem, which is like this idea that there are, you know, men and women and they don't play together and they can't play together. And we have to like very strictly police certain like biological markers. Although like, again, like the, the bio, like so often the science on this is kind of crap. But like you like, get an intersex yeah, person yeah, and, and suddenly is your testosterone too in, high? Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in chaos. And the poor intersex person's in the middle, like, could I play my sport, please? Right. But, um, but yeah, I think that like that's like a much larger problem to do with the this obsession that we have with splitting up sexes basically for sports mm -hmm. but i do see that it, it's kind of a rough position for them to be yeah it's kind of the world that we've created mm -hmm. yeah. now leaves people mm -hmm. out in some ways mm -hmm. did, did you have some yeah, opinions i think to, to come back to your question about um our iteration of touch mm -hmm. um that we've done on the sundays and that's the one specific for the rose we still used it kind of as a recruitment tool also to keep our fitness up throughout the summer because the mm -hmm. rugby season starts in september and ends around april so may june july august we're there to have fun and meet new people and continue creating that community and foster our community as well invite friends invites friends of friends and and really getting to know new people and diversify our community essentially actually i was very happy to see how this end of the summer uh turned out with the group of folks that stuck mm -hmm. around played touch with us throughout the summer and uh, um, are still there to this day actually coming to our pre-season practices um it's pretty fascinating. So uh, essentially what we wanted is like, come and join us, come and have fun, come play rugby with us. Mm -hmm. And if you like it, we'll find a space for you because there is a space. We believe that there is a space for everyone in rugby mm -hmm. and with our structure uh, within the Lomas, we'll find a way to have you play. And if it doesn't exist, let's look at creating it. Essentially, that's what we're looking at right now. So mm -hmm. touch being non-contact allows us to be a, a little more nimble. Now the season is start, is about to start. So we'll see how that goes. And, and it's, it's going to be a case by case, but we want to have our people stick around because there are people, it's our community. And we've built a little something over the summer. We've been building over the past two years. We want it to continue. I should clarify, actually, uh, when I was talking about like quotas in like touch, like the rogue sun Sunday touch, there are no quotas or anything. People just are put on teams, usually based on trying to split up experienced and inexperienced players. Gotcha. Um, well, not split them up, m intermingle them. My point was more that it is common in touch leagues for men and women to play on co-ed teams. And in fact, it's often right. structured that way with that in mind specifically. Right. And that yeah. would create some complications for, for non-binary people, perhaps mm -hmm. in, in those types of situations. Absolutely. And, and I'm also curious about your, your regular league. Um, we've had to have conversations with our league, the Metro Women's Soccer League, about uh, referees, for instance, using non-gendered language when mm -hmm. referring to our teammates, because we, we would have refs coming up and saying, hi, ladies. And we have a number of non-binary people on the team who, who mm -hmm. didn't feel comfortable with that sort of language and they were very receptive to it but we did have to bring it up a few times have you had to do the same thing with your league actually this is something that we so we've been working on this past year and we definitely because the focus was expanding diversity of identities we created um leo one of our teammates created a little introduction to touch rugby booklet uh, at the beginning of the summer season to have people understand what 
rugby is, what touch rugby is, who we are as a club, and we uh, introduced a few pointers um, for folks to understand that the appearance of people might not reflect their identity necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I'm really making an effort to use um, non-gendered language or inclusive language. Also, um, offering or sharing your pronouns. We made this voluntary, but I do my best to always, when I introduce myself, share my pronouns. Um, and and really, if any, anyone sees or, or hears something, to um, like bring it up. And if mm-hmm. they're not comfortable to have the conversation with the person, really sharing with someone who could take the person aside and because if we have that ingrained in every everybody's mind then it would be easy to you know work with each other and mm-hmm. we can focus on other things essentially yeah i mean i know from personal experience you do a great job of that because there was uh, someone who i'd played with last year in out for kicks who had started using different pronouns since I'd seen them last and you very nicely sent me a message and said just so you know this person's pronouns are are they them now and thank you for letting me know and you know it's as simple as that but it really requires that allies are doing their part to Mm -hmm. to help educate. But for me it's about modeling that piece so that people already feel like safe if they want to share with me um, um, their pronouns and, and, uh, but technically you only need someone's name to be able to interact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if a, a, you could even only use their name when mm-hmm. you're talking about that person as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're unsure, you can use they, them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm not sure where I was going with this, but essentially yeah, it's about respectful interactions on the field. We're there to play mm-hmm. soccer and, and, and fostering a, a, a great, or, or rugby, a great space to, for everyone to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, that's where I was going with this. And if they want to share more, welcome them and, and really just open, open your arms to them and, and they might need actually someone to uh because there there's some um something they're going through or you know we're friends we're all friends and that's the bottom line absolutely yeah and um coming over to you will this is question is specifically related to your experience as a trans person playing Mm -hmm. rugby what has that been like Have, have you found people in general to be accepting and the teams that you've played in to be inclusive i know you've sort of talked a little bit about it but yeah i think like um like at its core, like I've found the sport to be very friendly. And so mm-hmm. for the most part, like I have not really had, had issues myself. You know, people don't necessarily know that you're trans always either. Like, yeah. Right. Like we, we sometimes get that passing privilege fly under the radar mm-hmm. sometimes. And I never know whether, whether I'm flying under the radar or whether, you know, not, but that being said, um, Certainly in the context of like the team itself, like at some point, um, like, I mean, we all use the same change rooms and things like that. Mm -hmm. So even if I weren't pretty open about it with the team, which I think I was pretty open from the beginning, I think it was a known thing. People would know. Um, So, and my experience was that generally people were very, very like, were not bothered by it. I think like this, the, the struggle, um, and you probably know this, um, the real struggle about being trans in these environments is that often people don't even know what they don't know. So mm-hmm. like things are just not set up for you. You know what I mean? Like there are like things that kind of just fall through the cracks and mm-hmm. you're like, Oh no. Someone like, just hasn't thought about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no one meet like means to, but like it, you know, things just happen. But in general, it was a, a very positive experience for me. And it was a, an experience I really, really was looking for. I think when I joined the rogues, I was looking to like experience like, okay, like, what is it like to be in, like, uh, amongst queer men? Because, like, it was a new thing for me. And mm-hmm. and so coming into it, largely having, like, these, like, really wonderful, like, connections and experiences was just, like, really lovely. The, the teams that we play against, like, 
have often like gone out of their way to be friendly. They have often like gone the extra mile after the games and said hi and like tried to interact with us. And I think that this is like not just like uh like a wonderful thing for a trans player coming in. I think also like for queer cis men, I think this is also like a very kind of meaningful thing in a way. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, uh I'm not saying that it's all sunshine because it's not, but in general it, it's been positive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. kind of similar to my own experience mm-hmm. as a trans person playing mm-hmm. soccer. I, I commute a fair distance Mm -hmm. to play on an inclusive team. There are teams near where I live that I could play on, but none that are explicitly uh, inclusive of trans people. Mm -hmm. And so, so to be able to go to a practice or a game and know that no one is bothered by me Mm -hmm. and know that they're not uh, holding on to some unresolved feelings about Mm me is really reassuring. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm sure that I would probably be treated well on one of the teams locally, but Mm -hmm. there's always going to be that thought in the back of your mind, like, do they actually accept me? Cause some things don't get said, or if the team isn't paying attention to making sure that they're inclusive, then maybe there are those issues that are going to fall through the cracks, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned. And what actions have you been taking to protest the ban on trans women in rugby? I know that you marched in the Pride Parade this year, and I think that was a theme of your entry. Yeah, that was, so it was another person's idea. It was like his kind of brainchild. Essentially, what ended up happening was that we made this kind of move. It was kind of started by World Rugby, which is like the governing body for rugby, international rugby union, because there are different kinds of rugby. Mm-hmm. It's not worth getting into. <laughs> um, but um, but they came out with a, a ban in 2020, essentially um, saying trans women cannot compete on a professional level in international rugby. And uh, this this actually, like, when I was, like, reading up on it, I was like, oh, this was kind of, in some ways, I'm sure it wasn't the beginning, beginning of, like, professional organizations going after trans women, but it was, like, an early one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we made kind of that the focus of our march this year. Um, I mean, other, like, the... in. You know, in the UK, they ban trans women just across the board. You know, not every nation has followed, like Canada, Rugby Canada's position and the BCRU, by the way, for people watching, the BCRU and Rugby Canada, their position right now on transgender people is that they play as the gender they identify as. Mm -hmm. Um, So what the gender that you identify as, that's the division that you go into. And there's no other requirements? Um, I don't think so, no. Okay. No. That's that's Um, very progressive of them. Yeah. Well, like uh, not to crawl into the weeds, Mm -hmm. um, but we made um, but we made that. So we decided to make that the focus of our Pride March this year. Mm -hmm. So we had for Sunday touch after we do a barbecue after we play in that time period. We brought, you know, craft supplies and poster boards and all this stuff. And we had uh, the people who showed up to touch um, make posters and signs um and then we brought them to you know the march and and uh yeah so that was that's kind of that was kind of our stance for this year and i i do think that it's an important one to take even if it's you know two years late although we didn't exist in 2020 to be fair to us right um, better late than never for better sure late than never and and it was really wonderful to see people in the club really get into it and really buy into it and like you know give their time and their creativity to like making these posters and then showing up the day of the parade and it was a long parade this year i'm sure like it was like a Mm -hmm. kilometer yeah it was very warm and they showed up to the parade and they got super pumped and they were doing chants and you know brought all this energy and um yeah for me it was hugely meaningful actually to see that because sometimes you do wonder if like people support you on the team and it's nice to see that kind of expression of it. Do you feel that England's rugby uh, football union's decision to ban trans people or trans women specifically from playing women's contact rugby has affected the general population's attitudes towards trans and non-binary people in rugby or in sports in general? I think anytime any organiza- organization comes out with something like this, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, first of all, there's just the individual harm of telling someone 
this community that is hugely meaningful to you, you're dangerous and bad and you don't get to go here. I think that's horrible yeah. and should never, ever happen. And it makes me angry to even think about it. But I think like on a larger level, when an organization does this, what it says to the general population and to people who might be quietly thinking to themselves, oh, I don't like those trans people very much is, okay, now you're empowered to like, you know, police like people that you think don't look the way they should look who are in your spaces. Okay, you can turn up to a track meet in Kelowna and harass some poor girl who's just trying to like run a race or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So Which I actually happens yeah, for the audience happened. who doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think is like inherently a like violent and dangerous thing to do, not just to trans and non-binary people, but to people in general, to anyone who doesn't look the way someone thinks they should look mm -hmm. um, or talk or act or whatever. You know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah, I think that these kinds of bans are very harmful. What do you think about the argument that transgender women are a threat to the safety of women's sports? So, I, I they're like the Canadian, um, what was it? It's CCES, Canadian something. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm blanking on the name. But they basically study like... Um, they look at ethics in sports and they put out, they did a, a literature review. They did a whole report on um, basically transgender women and elite athletics in 2022. And like basically what they found was that the scientific evidence in terms of like whether there are biological advantages based off of like what kind of puberty you had is unclear at best. Um, a lot of the studies are quite bad in different ways. There aren't a lot of them. And that when professional bodies make decisions um, based off of these kinds of based off of these kinds of studies, they pri they'll prioritize like biolog again, these like biological studies, which again often are quite flawed, over sociological studies about things like the effect of like inequality, like in terms of like wealth, resources, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and yet these things really like affect people's ability to be competitive mm -hmm. in professional athletics. Like a country that has a ton of money to throw at their soccer team is going to do better in the Olympics than a country that doesn't, you know. And like trans people, trans women in particular, who like have all sorts of like barriers to get over often in terms of like social acceptance in terms of like they like all, they make less money on average like mm -hmm. uh, like even like compared to cis women compared to like trans men you know like significantly yeah, less yeah yeah they face all sorts of barriers but no one is going like well <laughs> is it fair that trans women have to play against cis women no one <laughs> thinks that thinks right? it that way yeah yeah but you could you could make that argument right Sorry, I'm trying not to crawl too much into the weeds, but I do think that like basically this this whole idea that trans women are a threat to women's athletics is silly. Like, first of all, even if you just look at the numbers, like the like I was looking at like Statistics Canada and like the percentage of trans and non-binary people. So like the whole of our community, not just trans women is like 0.33% of the population. Like numerically, how are trans women going to dominate professional athletics? That's not going to happen. Well, you would and expect that trans people would win 0.33% of the time, and they, they actually don't. win less than that. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> so it would indicate that it's not fair to trans people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, to me, like this whole idea that trans women are going to come in and dominate cis mm -hmm. women in athletics. First of all, if that was going to happen, there was a period of like years, decades where trans women were perfectly allowed to compete in pro professional athletics. And we didn't see that. Right. Yeah. Um, so no, I think, it, I think it's just nonsense yeah. to be honest. Absolutely. I've left you out of this to, to some degree, Nico, because we've been talking about the trans experience in some ways. But before I move on to my next question, did you have any thoughts on that sort of that overarching topic? I think um, in sports in general, there there is definitely a need for better education 
in general, um, and also high quality research um, mm. to be shared with organizations to really kind of dis- disrupt or challenge those gender norms mm-hmm. to be more inclusive. I don't think we should essentially sanction a group of people and put them on the sideline. We, we should look at opportunities and options and, and what can we do? Like we, we have this mm-hmm. challenge, so let's put the resources to be able to figure out a solution because I, I think we, we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, you know, thinking of my friends, I wouldn't want like, my friends to not be able to compete at a high level if they were great. Um, I have a lot of great friends and, and, and if they have the opportunity to go and compete, I wouldn't want them to be prevented from doing that. Mm-hmm. That would hurt me. And that's essentially part of the reason why this topic is dear to my heart because I have a lot of trans friends and I wouldn't want them to be put on the sideline. I want them to be with me and I want them to even succeed more than, than me. So, mm-hmm. You've talked about how your team is a, a men's team for regular season. Are you looking at potentially introducing a women's team as well to your league or your, um, your club? I would love that. I mean, I want to say, I want to like preface this by saying I have like no control over this because I'm a player. Right, right. But, um, but for me, like one of the things about like Touch This Summer being like everyone come join is because like if like people who don't identify as men and would feel more comfortable playing in a women's division, if they were like, if we got enough of them sticking around, then like maybe we could like maybe first like you start off like with like a seven set like because there's something called sevens basically Mm. seven v seven it's actually a very exciting game because it's the same size as a regular rugby field oh wow only seven to a side so it's just a lot of running and like and it's very fast paced Mm. um maybe like we could have a sevens team that went to tournaments and then like you know and so on and so on and so on it's really like a numbers thing and a resources thing but for me like that's kind of the dream because then we could accommodate even more of the community right Mm -hmm. because you know not everyone wants to play men's div um and and it would be great to have spaces for them Mm -hmm. too right there's so much that's possible and that's that's why we like we're right now we're building something that we don't even know what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. I look at Out for Kicks, for example, and this is the only reference that I have in inclusive sports. That I, I mean, I see today 240 members every year. They start. How did how did they start? There were the, there was the Gay Games in 1990 in Vancouver. They wanted to create a team to play to go and play soccer during the Gay Games. They did that, and today it became this huge league that has like, as I say, 240 members. Mm-hmm. So. We restarted two years ago with one team. We brought two teams to the Bingham Cup, which is kind of the gay games of rugby or the inclusive games. And and what does the future look like? We don't know, but today we want to offer a space to everyone that wants and come and play rugby with us. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Merolomas have five teams in the senior category per se. Um, and one of them plays in the women's division. So there's there there are options offered to us right now. Now the future, we'll see. There there's a talk apparently that but that was before my time even in Canada that there was a rogues women team. So I'm gonna start digging into that uh, because why not? Mm-hmm. Why not? Absolutely. And I guess further to that, I'm interested to know about the work that you're specifically doing on EDI and uh, how you're addressing not just the the gender aspect and and the queer aspect, but also uh, accessibility needs. So we've been existing for two years. Mm -hmm. I've been in this position of chairing the the Diversity and Inclusion Committee uh, for the past two years. We have really focused on skills and um, gender, specifically for the gender aspect. So as I mentioned earlier, we talked about uh, pronouns, uh, um, gender inclusive language. Uh, We're currently working on uh, a change room guideline Mm -hmm. right now, because that is something um, that does not only affect trans people, it also affects some cis people, but specifically currently 
uh, trans people are uh, affected by that. And we talk, there's a big conversation about washrooms and change rooms nowadays. And, mm-hmm. and so we want to make our safe, uh, our space safe. And that we identify that this could be um, something that is needed uh, in the future with bringing in more people. And we would love for this guideline to be for the whole club. And maybe some other clubs will want to use it as well or take that and make their own. Mm-hmm. But um, so there was that on the gender aspect per se. Um, with skills specifically, um, this is more the coaching staff that has taken this on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a, a, an official head coach the, this past year and they've, um, they've been working with a, a group of people on what the next year looks like, because that's something that we've identified. I mean, at least by talking with other teams during the Bingham Cup, the, the gay games of rugby or the inclusive games of rugby, mm-hmm. um, a lot of teams that have been existing for longer than us are being challenged with this big experience gap between really experienced players to new people joining the team. So what um, they're doing this year is they've identified three groups. There's the very new people that just started the sport this year. There's what they call the sophomores, like the people that have been there for a couple of years, three years, and that have gained enough experience to bring the new people to their level. Mm-hmm. And they're focusing not solely, but a lot on bringing the experienced level uh, people to the next level. Mm-hmm. And within those experienced people, there's um, what they call player coaches that are um, essentially bringing the rest of the team up. So that's kind of their um, vision for the year. And we'll see how that goes. Um, We might tweak it throughout the year and uh, leave that to the experts, the coaches. Um, But um, yeah, that's that's what we've been doing in terms of including new people, essentially. And touch, touch is a big part. Like our summer touch is a big part of that. Like bringing... Because, you know, with touch very much the message is just come play with us, right? Mm -hmm. Just come. And so then once you have people there, you're like, okay, how do we, how do we make sure that people know enough to have fun and the people who know how to play the game can like also still have a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, And for that, like what we did was we ended up kind of mingling seven minutes of touch and then we do some drills or we we do like so we did beginner hour basically from like two to three and that was just very much like the basics and if anyone has any Mm -hmm. questions they can ask them but it's a lot of just like here's how to do like the you know a pop pass here's how Mm -hmm. to run in a line here's where you need to be positioned to receive the ball to be on defense um and for that you know you can kind of just break things down into like three on twos or two on ones, three on fours, and basically get people thinking about how to run together with each other, how to, you know, pass while running, how to run onto a ball, all that sort of stuff. And then once you've done that, then you, you're like, okay, we're going to play some touch now. And you can sort of tweak touch as well. It's, it's a wonderfully like flexible game. So you can kind of like tweak it a little bit to have people practice practicing what they were doing in the drills, right? And our goal with that was very much to like try to create an environment where someone could come in not knowing anything and A, still have a fun time playing and then B, maybe come into the regular season and not feel like totally adrift. Mm-hmm. Um, we put a lot of thought into it and, you know, I hope people found it helpful. But I mean, obviously we like, it's like a work in progress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the people like working on touch, like I was pretty involved in, not in the curriculum side. I'm like more the like person who kind of just is like, hello, I'm Will, you can, you know, you, you know, I'm always going to be here. And so like, I'm a familiar face and I try to just like be someone who someone, you know, even though they don't know anyone there, hopefully they know who I am. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, to be like, you know, when we're playing touch to be like very like actively involved in like, okay, here's where you need to be right now. So-and-so get back. So-and-so go forward, you know, just kind of that kind of thing. Mostly because for me, I find that kind of stuff very helpful. Like I like it when someone is like 
this is where you need to be, you know, and Mm -hmm. is very minute about it and is in my ear about it. And maybe I'm annoying. I hope not. But I, I do think that like... I was very proud of the work that I saw this year with like the people who were trying to think over, okay, what are the fundamentals that people need to know to like have fun playing this game and how can we convey it in like simple bite-sized ways that will still let people, you know, also have like a fun game as well. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, that was kind of our thought process with that. As we're coming to the end of the podcast, uh, one of the questions I always like to ask is, what can our audience do to help with an issue? Uh, so season two, we're getting into some different issues. I don't know how well this question is going to play in all of all of these new episodes, but do you have ideas of things our audience can do if they want to help support trans people playing in sports or in rugby in particular? Well, okay. For starters, if there are people in our audience who play sports and are you know not queer themselves they can make sports a better place for queer people trans people non-binary people you know really very easily just by like taking a bit of time to like think over the issues and learn a little bit about it and then like apply that to their like you know to the way they approach playing sports in their life um there's a lot that you can do by just like being nice to someone you know like uh if someone shows up completely new and um and you just like very nicely explain to and non-judgmentally explain what's going on that person will much more be much more likely to stick around and it's Mm -hmm. very easy to do i i think over like when i joined um there was like uh someone on the team like you know straight guy um he'd been one of the like original rogues and it had been like a meaningful thing for him. So he came when we started again, he came back, even though he was like, he's, uh, he cares a lot about his other club as well that he joined, Mm. you know, coming out of the rogues. And, you know, he, he just like, he, you know, always gave me pointers. He came right up to me and introduced himself when I looked, you know, probably confused and (laughs) a little trepidatious. Um, he, uh, he actually like, uh, his, his son is like, growing so he gave me like soft like several pairs of soccer cleats that his son had outgrown and rugby huh. cleats you know which just like like there's lots of ways that you can like materially support queer people in like a sports environment just by being like a nice person mm-hmm. and helping them stick around right mm-hmm. so there's that i think like in the larger in the larger picture it's like not getting caught up in like the panics about like oh you know trans women are going to like you know destroy women's athletics and like you know make washrooms unsafe and all that like don't buy into it when you know people show up and like are protesting against like trans people like counter protests you know there were people who uh, tried to like intimidate the carousel theater this summer into not having a drag program for like their youth camp and so like uh and they you know a very small group of them it was quite pathetic um showed up at the carousel theater and like other people showed up to counter protest them mm-hmm. um there are all sorts of things that you can do if you just like know what's happening um yeah great and nico yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I will echo what we'll say, taking action and really, uh, whether it is educating yourself or listening and really acting on um, supporting, there's a lot of um, resources on the internet, whether it's for education or small clubs that need funding for even existing. There is a, a, a team of trans folks in the UK, I believe, who play rugby and and so really supporting uh, people in the community in general um, and and looking for those is a lot of people that need support and if you're acting in these meaningful ways uh, then there's a lot of goodness that you would be able to produce out of that I think is there anything else that either of you want to add to the conversation before we wrap things up I uh, I mean I first of all I really want to thank you for having us. I'm really excited for this season, specifically after this summer, that just 
iteration of touch rugby has been so fruitful for us and i i want to acknowledge the people that set it up and 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 supported setting up and uh, um and the team in general the direction we're taking we um, we identified before last year's AGM. We identified uh, we identified as the uh, gay inclusive team, but uh, we're now the inclusive team. And I think that um, small shift is helping us um, expand and and grow. And I uh, I actually I I took note of one thing that you shared earlier, and it's not the first time that we hear it, but really. Um, being explicit about the fact that we welcome trans and gender diverse folks at the Rogues Rugby Club is important. And I think now that we're setting up that safe space and um, on the cultural level, but also structural, mm-hmm. I think it will be key to welcome everyone into our sport and our club. So um, yeah, I'm excited. And uh, if you wanted, I don't know if you want to keep this, but you're always welcome to come and play rugby with us. Everybody is actually welcome to play. So if you're out there and you want to come and play with us, just go on our social. We're practicing twice a week on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, and we play on the weekends. And um, we also wanted to thank you very much. We have <laughs> a little uh, present for you. Oh my we gosh. have um, some stickers. Um, a little can or holder, um, and we also have a um, a T-shirt for you. Oh my gosh! Thank you um, so much. From the Rogues Rugby Club. It's amazing. Um, I've never so, had this happen on a podcast before. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much um, for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate both of you coming on the show and and having this conversation with me. And I think it's going to be really interesting for our audience to learn about. We're hopefully going to tackle some misinformation about trans people in sports and hopefully get uh, some more people interested in joining your league as well. And this has been an episode about trans people in rugby. It's a social justice podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Berling, and I've been joined today by Nico and Will. You've been listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book.